This is the day the Lord hath made. He calls the hours his own. Let heaven rejoice, let earth be glad, and praise surround the throne. This is Brother William Kantz with this week's lesson from Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 7. The title of the lesson is The Call of the Prophet. From the NIV, Isaiah 6, 1 through 13, reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. <clears throat> I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their eyes dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terrapin and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And now, chapter 7, verses 10 through 13. The text reads, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, 
Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey, and when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, for before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring you on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Praise God's holy and divine word. The call of the prophet. Isaiah's call which occurred during the last year of King Uzziah's reign, is recorded in our lesson text, Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. Besides describing how Isaiah came to be a prophet for God, the passage also provides a rare glimpse of God on his throne. In the vision, the holiness of God is clearly on display. Consequently, when Isaiah viewed his life in comparison with the Lord's glory, he immediately acknowledged his unworthiness and declared, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Verse 5, Isaiah recognized both God's perfection and his own sinfulness. This is lesson number one for a Christian, to recognize our relationship to our God. Despite this recognition, or perhaps because of it, he eagerly answered the call to go and proclaim God's message to his people. There are three stages of spiritual evolution that occur as a result of experiencing a vision of the power and presence of God. These include recognition of individual and collective sinfulness. Next must come an understanding, the need for repentance and a reformed spirit. And finally, an obedient and an unobstructed willingness to serve God. Isaiah was impelled to communicate the will of the Father. He was zealous for the Lord. What about us? Are we willing to discomfort ourselves and answer the Macedonian call? Acts 16, verse 9. As we consider Isaiah's call and subsequent prophetic work, we would do well to appreciate his eagerness to serve the Lord 
despite the difficult task he was given. He demonstrated the faithfulness that Paul would later encourage Timothy to exhibit when Paul charged, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. The call of God is not a call of ease, nor based on personal convenience. Nevertheless, it must be answered. In Isaiah's vision, the Lord is seen as he is, high and exalted, beyond manipulation, seated on his judgment throne. The time of reckoning has come. Isaiah focused on the way the seraphim served the Lord, he announced, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6, verse 3. God's holiness surpasses man's ability to comprehend. Isaiah has no basis of hope in his dangerous existential predicament given his unworthiness in light of God's perfection. However, this very awareness of sin illuminates the path for forgiveness. God's mercy is beyond our comprehension. However, we know it exists. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. After Isaiah was forgiven, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? <clears throat> Isaiah 6, 8. The plural pronoun here foreshadows the doctrine of the Trinity which is clarified in the New Testament. That is, the word existed at the beginning of creation and consequently from eternity. The word is in God's own nature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 9. In an act of great faith, Isaiah volunteered, before hearing the details of the mission. His response, here I am, send me, reflected both his appreciation for the forgiveness he was granted and foreshadowed the determination and loyalty he would show throughout his prophetic ministry. God forewarned the prophet that his preaching would result in further hardening of the impenitent hearts of his people. In his ministry, 
Jesus applied to some of his hearers these very words and the spiritual principle involved. That is, that truth hardens in unbelief those who continually reject it. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Matthew 13, verse 15. These words point to the obstinate, willful ignorance which refuses to look on the truth because the look should lead to conviction and conviction to conversion. This denial hardens over time and becomes part of a person's worldview, a part of their social and emotional circle that must be defended. For some, this denial of truth allows those who profess ignorance to remain in darkness. And this is the condemnation that light comes into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 3, verse 19. <clears throat> Having been given God's message to deliver to the people, Isaiah asked, Lord, how long? Isaiah six eleven. He agonized over what he would have to do. As the prophet faced his unpleasant future responsibility, he wondered how long this process would take. All had been outward worship with the people. Words did not enter into their minds. For such people, after a certain stage, there is but one treatment. Penitence must run its course, partly as a righteous retribution, partly as the only remedial process possible. God sends Isaiah to foretell the ruin of his people. Many hear the sound of God's word, but do not feel the power of it. The sense is, because you have so long heard my words and seen my works to no purpose and have hardened your hearts and will not learn nor reform, I will punish you in your own kind. Your sin shall be your punishment. I will blind your minds and withdraw my spirit so that you shall be unable, as now you are unwilling, to understand or perceive anything that may do you good. In other words, being given over to a reprobate mind, as Paul pens in Romans 1. The Lord declared that Isaiah's work would continue until cities are laid waste and the land is utterly desolate. Verse 11. The rebellious people of both Israel and Judah would be taken into captivity. Verse 12. Nevertheless, the chapter ends with a spark of hope. A spark of hope. The holy seed 
would not be destroyed. Verse 13. The reference to the Holy Seed in Isaiah sets the stage for the events recorded in Isaiah 7. The nation of Judah, led by King Ahaz, was attacked by both was attacked by both Israel and Syria. Isaiah 7 and verse 1. Despite the fear that spread throughout Judah, the Lord, through the mouth of Isaiah, assured the king that the efforts of Judah's enemies would fail, he declared. It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, verse 12. Ahaz's response sounded noble. Isaiah told him otherwise. Ahaz hid himself hypocritically under the mask of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, which says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The king was using Deuteronomy 6 as an excuse to continue to act in his own interest. This was Isaiah's last ineffectual effort to bring Ahaz to the attitude of faith. In other words, a sign is offered and the king refuses to recognize it. Isaiah here declares, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall give you a sign. Behold, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, verse 13. The prophecy is introduced in a solemn manner. The sign is so marked as a sign selected and given by God himself. Although they did not deserve, nor do we deserve, we have been given comfort, those who are true believers, faithful in action indeed, and we shall be left without any excuses. For we know deliverance and preservation which God has promised he will in due time perform. Matthew's identification as Jesus of Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy is definitive in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Jesus was indeed and continues to be God with us. The holiness of God stands in stark contrast to the sinfulness of man. Isaiah recognized this immediately. Do we? Thankfully, God has made provisions for our forgiveness. Realizing this, Isaiah was ready and willing 
to do the Lord's work. Those who understand and commit to the truth in Jesus Christ may also be ready to share God's message, both near and far. Scripture describes Jesus in a variety of ways. He is the Word, who was in the beginning with God, as we noted, John 1, verse 1 and 2. He is the stone which the builders rejected. Psalm 118, verse 22. He is the Son of Man, to whom was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, verse 29. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, verse 16. He is the one who speaks the words of eternal life, John 6, verse 68. He is the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. He is the resurrection and the life, John 11, chapter 25. He is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, verse 6. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Revelations 1, verse 8. He is Lord of lords and King of kings, Revelation 17, verse 14. The predominant theme of the scriptures is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is God. He became a human being, died by crucifixion, and was buried. He rose again from the dead. He is the all-sufficient Savior of the world. He will come again to this earth to gather himself his church. This lesson is yours. Thanks for listening, friends. I pray that something has been said that has proven to be both edifying and uplifting. Next week's lesson comes from Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And the title of this lesson is The Prince of Peace. Let us pray together, family. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Thank you, Father, for being our God, God who sits high and looks low. Thank you for being present as we lift up prayers to you. We thank you. We thank you for being present. We thank you for sending your only begotten Son to this low ground of sorrow to minister to all and to ultimately die on the old rugged cross for the sins of mankind. Thank you, Father, for this blessing, for sacrificing your only begotten Son who served as the propitiation for our transgression. Thank you for his sacrificial blood that continues to cleanse the faithful.
Thank you for the way Jesus Christ provided that we may find our way back to you if we are faithful to the end and if it be your will. Thank you for the church he established where men, women, boys, and girls may find their way back to you with fear and trembling. Thank you for all that you do for us, Father. We come with petitions on our heart of mind this day. We send up prayers for those who are poor in spirit, both near and far, those in mourning, those in hospice, those in hospitals, those undergoing or coming out of procedures. We pray that your loving arms and protection sustain them and protect them. We know that you are the great physician, Father, who has never lost a patient. Father God, please guide the hands of the surgeons and stand with the caregivers and the first responders, the essential workers, the public servants who go about the daily necessity of serving others. Father God, please remove this scourge of plague from our midst and make our society whole in body and in spirit. Father, be with your leadership in your church and in this nation. Sustain them and lift them up that they may continue to serve and negotiate these last days with your wisdom and your grace. We pray for each student of your word who is with us on this study of your prophet Isaiah. Bless, bless us, Father. Keep us close to the cross and to one another. These and all other blessings and favors we ask in the most gracious and holy name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Again, let me get this straight. Next week, yes, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, and then chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. Okay. Thanks for your support. Friends, brothers and sisters, as we continue to learn from the prophets the truth and the majesty of Jesus Christ, stay studious and connected with the Word and with one another. Let us all reach out in Christian love this week via cards, phone calls, texts, emails, Zoom conversations, in the neighborhood or at work, Lift up one another and spread the word, the irrepressible joy of the good news, the gospel. Stay safe, healthy, and continue to love one another. Bye for now.